Welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week, we will be listening to a sermon by Pastor Dana O'Brien from July 2nd, 2023, titled Christian Nationalism. We hope you enjoy this message and that it offers some meaning for your life. Okay, everybody, you can be seated. I've got, I've got a, a bunch of short little readings. The first three, and the first one you've heard before, but the second two might be, um, might be a surprise. From first, from Galatians 3.28, and if you don't remember this one, you weren't here last week because we all recited it. There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. From 1 Corinthians chapter 12, some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, some of us are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Hopefully you're, you're sensing the, the commonality here. The, the divisions between us are broken, and we are all one. And again, from Colossians 3, verse 11, here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Again, divisions are broken. And then two quick readings, stories that contrast the way the world operates and the, world, the way the world thinks with the way Jesus operates and the way Jesus thinks. And I could have picked a zillion of them from the New Testament, but I got two short ones. And this is Jesus. He turns his, his uh, face to Jerusalem and he starts that long walk from Galilee to Jerusalem. And he resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. So when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they turned and they asked Jesus, Lord, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy these people? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went on to another village. The way we do things, the way Jesus does things. From Luke 22, and this is right in the middle of the Last Supper, Jesus has just told them about what, has happened, what is about to happen to them, and what do they do? So a dispute arose among his disciples as, which, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. How disappointing, right? So Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors or friends of the people. But you, you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. The one who rules should be the one who serves. The way the world does things, the way that Jesus does things. Very, very different. So today, this is, this is maybe not a message that some of us want to hear. It's not a cuddly message. and In fact, it's kind of a, a challenging one. Now, the 4th of July isn't here for another two days. As I said, it's, it's already arrived in my neighborhood. But for most people, it hasn't here for another two days. But depending upon what church building you walk into this morning, you're going to see two, two very different contrasts and then a whole bunch in the middle. You can see on one end everything from a, a United States-focused Independent Day service that goes all out with music and prayers and flags and a sermon lauding this country's heritage. That's on one end. Or you could go in a completely a different service where they don't even mention the holiday, where you can't tell that the 4th of July is just two days away. And that's because the church, and, and certainly the Lutheran churches, and this applies to, to most mainline Protestants and, and lots of others too, the church has always had a, a rather ambivalent relationship with July 4th and our love of country. Now, on the one hand, on the one hand, I hope, I hope that everyone here and everybody watching 
feels extremely fortunate to live in the United States. There are, there are so many ways that our government makes our lives better, many of which we have, you know, especially those of us who have lived here all our lives, really take for granted. But, and the, and the freedoms, and the freedoms reflected in our country's ideals, although they are not fully realized, are something that we should all strive toward. Um, and, you know, every, every year around this time, they, they show a lot of news stories about either people becoming citizens, or last week there was one about um, a guy who was a refugee from Syria, and he settled in Chicago. And while he was in, did anybody see this other than me? Okay, well, apparently I'm the only one who watches the news. Anyway, while in, while in Syria, he was, was jailed and, and, uh, and actually, um, you know, uh, beaten by, by Syrian police and whatnot um, for his pro-democracy position. But he was able to, to flee from Syria to the United States. And so over these last 10 years here in Chicago, not only has he become a citizen, but just a couple weeks ago, he graduated from DePaul Law School. And so he's going to be working at a Chicago law firm where he's going to be able to pay it forward by taking refugee and asylum cases pro bono. Okay? Now, he, told, he would tell us, and he did tell us, that coming here literally, literally saved his life. And he is so thankful for all the, the welcome and the opportunities he received. Okay? So his story and countless of other stories just like it remind us of what this country means, right, to so many seeking to come here. The freedoms, the opportunities, the protections, really, really important. And so over these next few days, I hope, I hope that we all celebrate our country's heritage and express our thankfulness for the many freedoms and blessings that this country offers. For the, I hope we offer thanks for the people who serve it in so many capacities. Thanks for all those who have, have given their lives for the rest of us. I hope we exercise a healthy, a healthy patriotism, which includes both a love and appreciation for our country and a commitment, and a commitment to helping it live up to the values and ideals it espouses, which obviously include equality and justice for all people. But this morning, this morning, I'd like to focus on an exaggerated and a, a dangerous form of, of patriotism, taken to the nth degree, that has infiltrated the lives of many Americans and many congregations. Now, it's commonly referred to Christian as Christian nationalism. Has anybody heard of it? Okay, a couple of you have. Okay. It's a political ideology. It's not Christian. It's a political ideology that advocates the fusion of certain Christian views with an almost blind loyalty to one's country, in this case, the United States. Either implicitly or explicitly, Christian nationalism includes beliefs that the U.S. Constitution was divinely inspired, that Christianity should be privileged, a privileged, the privileged religion in the United States, that this nation holds a special status in God's eyes, and that good Americans must hold certain fundamentalist Christian beliefs in order to be good Americans. At its heart, Christian nationalism demands that we preserve, it's a, a particular kind of social order in this country, okay? An order in which all people, Christians and non-Christians, native-born and immigrants, whites and minorities, men and women, all recognize their proper place in society. And their proper place is going to be up or down depending upon who they are. Often overlapping with and providing coverage for white supremacy, Christian nationalism creates groups of second-class citizens 
as each group settles into that proper place in the hierarchy. For example, women would be below men, okay? Immigrants would be below Native, Native Americans. As we've seen, many adherents are prepared to enforce their beliefs with violence as they take America back for God. Paul Miller, an expert on Christian nationalism and the author of the book, Religion of American Greatness, What's Wrong with Christian Nationalism, puts it bluntly. Christian nationalism is a presumption that Christians are Americans first citizens, architects, and guardians, and that we have the right to define our nation's culture and identity for everyone. It is this sense of ownership, it's proprietary, it's a possessive feeling. Christians invented America and therefore have the right to stay on top. And you can see that this is, this is premised in part by the fear um, and we all know this is going on, the fear of Christianity falling, falling, not as many people attend church, not as many people espouse Christianity, um, and so people who have been Christians all their lives and, and newly become Christians are afraid that their power and privilege is disappearing and so they want to maintain it, and this is how one goes about it. We see the influence of Christian nationalism all over, okay? For example, it shapes policies on the state and local level, including things like book bans, which we've recently seen a bunch of, and the teaching of America history as a Christian nation. We've seen it in, in laws that have been passed and proposed to stifle trans people and our LGBTQIA allies um, in order to promote um, a fundamentalist Christian morality for the entire nation, okay? Um, and of course, the, the most obvious example is, is what happened two years ago. What this ideology is capable of um, is what happened in Washington, D.C. two years ago when a bunch of people violently took over the Capitol, right? Now, we all saw that, and if you, were, if you watched it like I did, you were like, this can't be happening. This isn't what happens in the United States. But, and we saw it. Lots were carrying American flags, they, claiming that they were taking back America for the people. But, and, and we all saw this, lots of them were also holding crosses. Lots of them were also carrying Bibles. They were carrying Jesus save signs. Some were praying on the Capitol chamber floors in Jesus' name after violently forcing their way in, right? We saw all that. And I hope that we all know that this goes way, way, way beyond the patriotism that most Americans and I hope all of us share. Instead, Christian nationalism isn't really a religious thing. It's a tribalism thing. It's a culture thing. It's, it privileges a certain culture or group of people over other groups, and as such, it is both dangerous to our democracy and it is completely antithetical to our identity as beloved children of God and followers of Jesus. Now, I am I'm fairly certain, I certainly hope, that no one here condones what happened on January 6th. No, it, it's impossible to do that. People died, for goodness sakes. But it turns out that Christian, Christian nationalism, this ideology that puts one group of people first and higher at the expense of others, it turns out that this, isn't, this is really easy to slide right into. It, it can happen without even knowing it. And you can see um, from that chart that Christian nationalism, um, it's not just the right wing of a certain group of Christians, it's, it covers Christians you know, in the entire spectrum of, of Christianity. Um, it lesser in some places than others, but, but it, it's expanding. So it turns out that it's not all that hard to slide right into. Indeed, researchers report that 45% of Americans believe, believe that the United States should be a Christian nation. 44% think that God has granted America a special role in human history. 35% believe that a citizen should be Christian to be truly American, okay? Now, 
I, I want to be clear right away. None of these beliefs alone make someone a Christian nationalist. But they, but they do mean that this person might be open to that ideology. It does mean that they could, they could easily slip in without even realizing it. Which means, people, we need to be really, really clear about this. God loves all people. God created all people in God's image. God has not singled out the United States for God's favor. Our nation's success is not somehow a part of God's plan. I hope we all get this. Here's the thing, you guys, and we know this, we know this. We have completely lost the nugget of Jesus' teachings when we believe that God has a vested interest in one country over others, or, or for that matter, one political party over another, or one candidate, or one culture, or one gender identity, or one ethnicity, or any group of one people over the rest of the people, right? When we start claiming that God is on my side, God is on our side, we are in trouble. We are in trouble. And we've talked about this before, remember a couple months ago, right? We, we heard the story of, of Jonah and, and, and Jonah's nationalistic tendencies. And God was very clear that Jonah's nationalism was completely counter to who God is and was. You guys, we have a very, very, very big God of love for all people, for all people. Did you, you heard the readings today? I tried to emphasize them. There's Galatians 3 that is out there. It's so important to us as a, as a congregation that it's out there on top of the entrance when you walk in. You can't walk in without looking up there and seeing the unity of all God's people, okay? That's how, that's how we see ourselves across the glory. But this idea, this idea of, of drawing lines and thinking that God supports my group, those people on my side of the line, it, it's such a common practice, and it was an, a common practice right from the inception when the church began, right in the beginning there in that first century, that Paul and the other writers in the, in the Gospels and in the New Testament, they have to say it over and over and over again. So you heard it three times in different ways. There is no line drawing. Our big God doesn't support us over them. And when? we start drawing lines between us and them. When we start drawing lines between who's in and who's out, between who's at the top and who's at the bottom, we will always, always find God on the other side of that line. Now, there are lots of other theological problems with Christian nationalism, and there's a whole bunch of speakers who have gone into them. Um, a couple, certainly, certainly, and this is so key, and we, and we forget this so often. Jesus never, Jesus never forced his beliefs on anyone, right? People want to force the Christian culture on everybody in the United States. But Jesus never forced his beliefs on anyone. Instead, what does Jesus do? He always, always invites, always welcomes. And, and people throughout the ages have taken Jesus up on that invitation, not out of fear, not because of threats, but because what Jesus offers is so compelling that we can't resist. We come to it. Jesus offers an abundant life in God's kingdom in relationship with a God who offers acceptance, who offers forgiveness, who offers grace and peace, and who loves us more than we can ever imagine. We run to this Jesus. We're not forced to believe it, right? Moreover, the type of violence that we saw on January 6th and the type that you sometimes hear people talking about by some Christian nationalist is completely, completely counter to Jesus' views 
of sacrificial service and love of neighbor. We heard those two stories. There's the way people do it. There's the way Jesus do it. And, from, and, from their, they, and of course, they weren't the first. We read about them. From the get-go, followers of Jesus had had a, hard, a really hard time understanding that God conquers fear and hate and the, and the evil in this world, not with force, not with military might, not with power, but with self-sacrifice and love. And we, it's, it's hard, it's hard to, to keep that in the top of our minds because it's really just not at all how the world works, right? And, and so often we are tempted to do things the way that the world does them, with power and might and force people. Jesus reminds us, both with his words and his actions, that the best way to show your love for someone is to die for them. And it's exactly what Jesus did for each and every one of us, not to bully them, not to treat them as second-class citizens. Finally, remember our guiding principles also on the wall out there. What's that first one? Anybody remember? Jesus is Lord. It's up there. I, you know. Our primary loyalty and allegiance is always given to God. You guys only, only to God, not to any nation, not to any party or political leader, not to any other group. We are citizens of God's king first, kingdom first and foremost, and that kingdom is for all people, not limited to any nation or country. And when, when our primary allegiance is given to anyone or anything other than God, it is idolatry, pure and simple. You can't sugarcoat it. It's idolatry, pure and simple. It is a negation of everything we say we are. So what can we do about the Christian nationalism that's seeping into so many of our congregations? ELCA presiding Bishop Elizabeth Eaton and a bunch of other Protestant church leaders are publicly standing up to Christian nationalism by endorsing a statement against it. And they formed this group back in 2019. It calls itself appropriately Christians Against Christian Nationalism. And its website includes the statement, which is up there, and I encourage all of you to read. I'm sorry, there's, a, there's been a lot of writing on these, on these slides. I can't get around it. Um, and, and it includes the statement that you can all sign online and then a bunch of other helpful educational materials. So I would encourage you to do that at some point later today or tomorrow. Second, I can't think of a better way to celebrate the 4th of July than go ahead and do it now. Second, I know I've mentioned to you before, but the ELCA came out in 2020 with a social message on government and civic engagement. Well, I just found this out. But that social message is just one step in a longer five-year effort to craft an ELCA social statement on faith and political engagement. So as part of that effort, there's a whole boatload of study materials addressing these various issues from a Lutheran perspective. I'm starting in September. I'm going to invite anybody who wishes to do so to explore this topic with me in small group discussions, probably a six-week uh, six discussions. But you guys, we don't have to wait until then to do something, okay? Here are a couple other ideas on how to combat Christian nationalism and live out our faith in the public arena. First, and, and we've talked about this stuff before too, first, be actively engaged in our government on all levels. That includes voting in a manner consistent with your faith. Yes, we live on our faith in the public arena. We just don't force our faith on everybody else, okay? It includes serving in public or other governmental offices. It includes taking steps to change laws and practices that are unjust and doing it in a way that's consistent with our Christian values. The easiest, and, and this is something we don't always remember, the easiest and maybe at this point, the most important place to get involved is in local politics. You know, I always think of national and state politics as being really important, and they are, they are. But lots of individuals espousing Christian nationalist tendencies um, are operating on the local level, and, and some of you probably ran into that um, in recent elections, uh, recent school board and library uh, board elections this last year. Who would have guessed? But, but I mean, it's, it's all over the place. Second, 
We need to live out Jesus' command to love our neighbors by advocating for people on the margins, by publicly, by publicly standing with those who do not have the clout and privilege we may have. We don't just sit and clap, we actually do something, okay? One huge challenge to hearing the voices of those on the margins are the many voting restrictions that are either already in place or being proposed and to act into law. You guys, and we know this, in a democracy, disenfranchising people takes away their voice and it is never a good idea, which means that those of us who still have a voice have to exercise it, okay? Here's the cool thing. Here's the, this is the really cool thing. When we stand with our siblings who are people of color, with our LGBTQIA plus siblings, with any other groups of people who are mostly on the outside looking in, when we walk with the least of these, we make this a better country. We make this a better country because it becomes a country for all people, not just a select group, not just a minority. And, and we show all those around us what Christianity truly looks like, okay? Now, we know this. So often today, it seems that we only hear about those trying to hijack Christianity to mean something that it doesn't, okay? But we need, so we need to be out there publicly reflecting the big God of love that we know. You guys, it's why, it's why we marched in the Chicago Pride Parade last week. It's why we have signs and pride flags flying. It's why we show up at community events. It's why we help at local schools and invite people to celebrations that we have right here. It's why we host VBS in another week, with the vast majority of kids attending being from our community, not from our congregation. We do all this to show people what our amazingly big God of love and welcome and grace looks like. We do this to help others experience the God that we know. Third, and we talk about this all the time, in these Polaroid times, Polaroid, polarized times, old camera, we need to be bridge builders. Okay, we need, and this is really hard. So one web, website that I looked at while I was researching this stuff said, one of the things you need to do is maintain rather than severing personal ties to family and friends who don't share your views, okay? We need to remain connected to friends and family who may be espousing Christian nationalist views rather than walking away. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'd prefer to walk away. Sometimes it's way easier to walk away. So this is a hard one, okay? It's much easier to cut off people who don't share our political views, to silo ourselves and surround ourselves with people who think exactly as we do. But you know what, guys? Someone who may be attracted to Christian nationalism isn't gonna change unless they see another version of Christianity that is more compelling than what they're hearing and being fed elsewhere, okay? We have that compelling version of a God who loves us, who, who gives everything for us, okay? So then we also need to, to learn to see people as God sees them, and, and that's the only way we can do it. We may have trouble with people. We need to learn to see them as God sees them, and they need to learn to see us as God sees us. And then we've got to be willing to engage in tough conversations in ways that are open, respectful, and humble. All things that are hard for people to do, right? And you guys, we can't do it alone. Okay, this is a God thing. This, is, this only happens as a God thing. Bottom line, Christian nationalism is antithetical to both Jesus' teachings and to our demo, country's democratic ideals. I haven't even gone on that. This is a, the church we focus on, on who we are as Christians. We combat that not with like means, Okay, not with like means, but instead by very intentionally and very publicly 
living out the kingdom values that Jesus taught us. On this 4th of July and every day, we combat nationalism by always remembering who we are and whose we are. We are children of a big, big God of welcome and love. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you're able to bring some of these concepts into your life. Come back next week for another episode of Faith for All. Faith for All was created by Cross of Glory Church. If you'd like more information on Cross of Glory, please visit our webpage at crossofglory.com where you can learn more about the church, see our upcoming events, and watch previous services and sermons. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Everyone, and we do mean everyone, is welcome to join us at 9.30 a.m. each Sunday morning for worship on our website, Facebook, YouTube, or in person at 14719 West 163rd Street, Homer Glen, Illinois. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, family, and anyone else you can think of about it. Faith for All is available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you find podcasts. Todd Mazera created our original music, John Uzardo engineered the sound, Jeff Wanderson handled the production duties, and I'm your friend and humble announcer, Andrew Morin. Thank you for joining us.